Well, good morning once again, church. Wonderful to see you all here this morning, ready to dig into the Word of God. Uh, I'm especially excited today because after today, I get to go on holidays for two weeks, so this is exciting. Uh, but I still have one more sermon to preach, and I'll admit, I wasn't quite sure to do what to do with this passage that we're studying today. And we're going to be keep, we're going to keep studying the Book of Acts when I get back. It's just two weeks, but. This, this passage found in Acts 14, uh, and you can turn there with me uh, in your Bibles, um, was a tough one because I think one thing that you'll sort of notice as we go through it together is there's really nothing new here. Um, you know, we see Paul traveling to a new town. Uh, we've seen that before. Uh, first thing, Paul goes to the synagogue to preach. Yep, he did that last time too, and Paul preaches very powerfully you know, and the people respond. We've sort of been there. We've done that. You know, God shows up in power and, you know, signs and wonders. And we've seen some of that in the book of Acts already too. And then, you know, eventually people get jealous. Then they begin to oppose Paul and they drive him out of town. And again, it's almost like clockwork. Uh, you know, it's right on schedule. We've seen all of these things before. And not to give away too many spoilers, uh, if you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see them again as Paul continues to minister and go from place to place preaching the gospel. It's almost like a rinse and repeat kind of situation going on here in Paul's ministry. Um, but I think, just look, at, that's sort of when I realized that that might be the point of this passage. Uh, because it, while it doesn't really tell us anything new about Paul or his ministry, it is showing us that Paul, whenever he went somewhere new, you know, during his missions trips, it shows us that he had a plan and a pattern in place for building a ministry in a town. And really, what we see here is, is kind of, it's part of the blueprint that Paul used to build effective churches, not just in Iconium, but all over the world. And we'll see that as we read the passage together. Follow along with me, if you would. Uh, Acts chapter 14. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 7. And it says this, now at, 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 now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and, Gent, or Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their, lead, with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe in the cities of uh, Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, um, we just ask for your grace and your presence here this morning. Uh, Lord, as we look into your word once again, um, just pray that, Lord, we would hear you speak, and that, Lord, your truth uh, found in these words before us in the book of Acts would uh, just speak to our hearts and, again, be transformational 
in all that we are and all that we do. Um, yeah, may we hear from Jesus this morning. Uh, and Lord, be our, be our honored guest and be glorified in all that we say and do today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin with, well, I guess a confession. Uh, it's not a bad one. Uh, my confession is that when it comes to building things, sort of with your hands, I am not a handyman. Uh, that's just reality. I actually subscribe, you know, there's a philosophical school that sort of says duct tape and WD-40 can fix anything. Do you know this? Because uh, if you have something that moves and it shouldn't, you just put on more duct tape. Uh, if you have something that doesn't move and it should, you hit it with the WD-40, and that's sort of where my knowledge stops. Uh, you know, if you can't fix something by hitting it with a hammer or some other blunt object, I'm probably not the guy you want working on it. I can hold things and help. That, that's about it. Uh, but unlike me, uh, Paul, Paul was a builder. Uh, in fact, he was a tent maker by trade. Um, but as we know, it wasn't his tents, uh, but his ministries that he built that really stood the test of time. And I think that many of the principles that, you know, Paul put into his tent, you know, craftsmanship are reflected in his ministry. And that's what we see as we come to this passage uh, before us. Because what we see, I think, really happening here is, is really a snapshot of both Paul and Barnabas. They're building and establishing an effective and enduring church in the region or the town of Iconium. And make no mistake, this is hard work. Uh, you know, tearing things down is very easy. You know, criticism, all that stuff, super easy. But building things up, especially things that last, that is hard work. So this morning, we're going to get to work. We're going to sit down, strap in, put on our hard hats, because we're about to enter the construction zone and really look at this passage that points out Paul's sort of blueprint, the things he did, the, 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 the you know, the the lessons he followed in when it came to establishing and building a church. And the first item that I think is on this blueprint uh, isn't even found in our passage. Uh, the first item when you, you sort of begin to build, uh, we're going to go all the way back to Acts 13, verse 2, where the whole missionary journeys got started for Paul. Because the reason that Paul was in Iconium in the first place was this. Acts 13, verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping, they're, they're back in Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So here is the first step in a building project. And this is any building project. And that is before you begin, you have to know your purpose. You have to know what it is you're building. You have to know what it is you are working towards. You know, even before an architect put, you know, begins sharpening his pencils, he has to know the purpose of what he's about to design. Because your purpose, your goal is going to define what and how you build something. Uh, for example, you know, if I was an architect, I don't think you need a drive-through window if you're building a jewelry store. Probably not one of those real practical things. You don't need a retractable roof if you're building a donut shop. Okay, your purpose defines the building. And for Paul and Barnabas, what they were building, their purpose was to establish a ministry that would intentionally take the gospel to the world around them, especially to the Gentiles. That was their purpose. That was their calling. And everything that they did, everything we read about from, you know, Acts 13 to on, 
from that moment that they set out really had that goal in mind because their mission was their priority. And knowing that purpose allowed them to effectively build the ministry that God had called them to do. Allowed them not to get distracted by other things. And you know, again, the same thing should be said for us as a church today. As a church, we should know why we exist. We should know what it is as a church that God wants us to be doing. We should know our purpose. And our purpose as a church, it's not a secret. In fact, it's one of the things that Jesus tries to make as clear as possible to his followers. Jesus says it in many different ways, many different places in the Bible, many different times. But probably the best known is the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says there, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if we want to be building a church that is effective, we need to keep that purpose in mind. We are to make disciples. That is why we are here. That is why we exist as a church. And there's really, for me, looking at the Great Commission, there's always there's really two things that stand out in this call that Jesus gives to us. This purpose of ours has a one-two punch. Because to fulfill the purpose of Christ for his church, first, we need to be reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and second, we need to, need to help those people and all people grow deeper in their relationship with God. We need to teach them how to obey, how to live their lives for Christ. That's our purpose. And that's the very first thing we need to know before we begin building anything. But that also leads us to the second thing, our next thing in this building blueprint. And that is, once we have a purpose, we should also have a plan. That brings us to our passage, uh, looking at verse 1 of Acts 14. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke. You know, once you know what you're supposed to be building, you would be silly to start building anything without a plan. You don't just, building something, you don't just go, well, let's just start pouring concrete and swinging hammers without any thought and see what happens, you know? You, you don't just start to build without a plan. And that's true even of a church. We need to have a plan. Uh, I remember Chuck Swindoll saying long ago that he says, I weary of people who call it faith when they can't tell you their plans. Have you ever heard an individual say, no, we're not gonna think this through, we're just gonna go by faith. But he says, the presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. And we see in this passage that Paul and Barnabas, they're not just running around willy-nilly trying to reach people with the gospel. They had a plan that they followed. And that plan began in you know, each town that they visited, whenever it was possible, they always started in the local synagogue. In fact, just a few examples. Acts 13, this is before Iconium. Uh, Acts 13, 5 says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Acts 13, 14, but when they went on from Perga and came to Antioch of Pisidia, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And now when they got to Iconium, we see they do that again. They head right to the synagogue. And even after that, Acts 17, verse 1, says they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. Acts 17.10, 
The brothers immediately uh, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Burma, or Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue, Acts 18, 19. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. In fact, I counted over a dozen times in the book of Acts that it tells us that Paul went to the Jews and the synagogues first in the towns that he was in. So why did he do that? Especially when his call was to, to you know, proclaim the truth to the Gentiles. Well, Pastor Ray Stedman says, says, in Iconium, though it was a pagan city, a Gentile city, there was a strong colonies of Jews who had a synagogue. Paul and Barnabas went right to it because the Jews were already familiar with the scriptures and they valued the truth of God. So Paul and Barnabas began with the most natural contact that they had. You see, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue first because it was the place where they had the best chance of finding people who would understand the truth of Jesus. It was the best way to start telling people about Jesus. It was the best place to begin finding a group of people who could become the church. That was part of their plan. And in the same way, in light of our purpose, and in, in light of the Great Commission you know, that God has called us to, we should have a plan. In fact, you should have a plan. In fact, let me ask you two questions this morning that I think should be shaping your lives every day. The first question I would ask you is this. Do you have a plan in place in your life right now to grow as a believer? And I want you to give that question some thought because it's important. What is your plan to intentionally just go deeper in your faith with Jesus Christ? Because if you are expecting that just to happen without any putting any thought or effort into that, you're likely to be disappointed. And you know, there's several things that you could do. Uh, if you haven't done so already, make it a priority to get into a small group uh, here in this church to study the word. You know, in the fall, we have lots of groups that are starting up. And I would love to see every person here get involved in one of those groups. Because the Sunday sermon, that this time together that we have is nice, but it is, it's not enough. We all need an environment where we can dig into the truth deeper, where we can ask questions and explore the scriptures in the context of a community with one another. Get into a small group. And the other advice I'd give you if you want a plan is to just make sure you are daily taking time to read the word of God and spend some time in prayer. You know, we, we call that personal devotions and whether you're going through a book or using a daily devotional or just reading the Bible uh, through on its own, uh, that personal quiet time is essential to your spiritual growth as well. But you have to make it part of your plan or again, it's probably not gonna happen because you need a plan for your spiritual growth. Which leads to the second question I would ask you this morning. And that's what is your plan for telling other people about Jesus? Because again, if you don't have a plan, this likely is not gonna happen. You need a plan to share the gospel with the people in your life. You have to be intentional. And you know, it can start as something as simple as, you know what, I'm gonna think of three people in my life that I, I can invite to church over the next year. Or saying, you know what, this friend of mine, I think, they would be open to hearing about Jesus. I'm going to take that person out for coffee once a month just to begin the conversation and see if there's an opportunity that develops. 
And maybe if you're in a place in your life where you like, I can't even think of somebody in my life that I would want to, you know, have an opportunity to share the gospel with. Well, maybe you could think about joining a community group or getting involved in a club so you can begin to meet some other people. But again, that's part of the plan. That's part of just being intentional about it and thinking, what are the steps that I'm going to take? We need to be thinking, who am I going to reach and how am I going to reach them? And Paul and Barnabas, they had a plan uh, that they put in place to see their ministry succeed. And then we see as verse 1 continues, it tells us that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now that's, a, that's a powerful verse, but I think it, I think it just quickly to note here when it says that, you know, they spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed, I think the temptation here is to believe that, you know, when Paul spoke, that he was just, he was so eloquent, that he spoke it so powerfully with his words, that he just persuaded the people there by his words alone. But that's not what this means when it says they spoke in such a way. When it says that they spoke in such a way, what it means is that Paul spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is not about the eloquence of man, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit on their words. And by this time, we're told he speaks, but you know, Luke, Luke who's writing the book of Acts here, he actually just skips pretty much over all the details of what Paul even says. But you know, we know from other accounts of, that, of when Paul spoke and what Paul preached and when people believed, we know that Paul's message was always about Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, when they spoke in the synagogue that day, were pointing people to Christ. And that actually leads us to the third part of our blueprint, and that is a sure foundation. And in the church, there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ alone. Because if, as a church, if you take your eyes off Jesus, you are always going to miss the point. One of my favorite quotes about the church uh, actually says what we must keep in, what we must keep in mind is what people really need from us as the churches is Jesus. They don't need a club or friends or a place to hang out as much as they need Jesus. They don't need a fancy sermon or a program or the right kinds of music or a class for their kids as much as they need Jesus. They don't need to discuss doctrinal issues or debate theological ideas. They need Jesus. And then he says, and when they come to our churches, they ought to be able to find him. Because you know what? Jesus, is, he's not a sidebar of the church. Jesus is not just a hobby that the church dabbles in. He's not just a figurehead of the church that we pay tribute to now and again. Jesus is to be the center, the focus, the foundation, the main thing of the church all the time. Jesus is to be the heart of everything that we do. And Paul built his whole ministry and his whole mission on the person of Jesus Christ. And that was his firm foundation, and it should be ours as well. And yet, having a firm foundation, you know, it doesn't automatically mean that the rest of the building project is going to go off without a hitch. Because, you know, when you're building something, you can be pretty sure something is going to go wrong somewhere. You're digging, you hit a gas line, you can run short of materials ceiling tiles can fall in your head. Uh, you know, pull down a wall, you find black mold or asbestos and all kinds of things can go wrong to derail a project. And the same thing again is true for the church. And that's why step four of our blueprint for building a church is, is perseverance. 
Perseverance in the face of obstacles that, that come before us. And Paul, Paul faced obstacles. Uh, look at verse 2 of our passage. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And honestly, sometimes I wonder, what is it with Paul <laughs> that people get so angry with him? Um, I like the story about one pastor who was kind of depressed about, you know, how things are going at his church. And someone just asked him, like, Pastor, what's wrong? And his answer was, you know, everywhere that Paul preached was a riot. Everywhere I preached, they served tea. I just, I'm just not sure I'm doing it right. It's, you know, compared to many of us, Paul seemed to live this very exciting life. Actually, when I was studying, I was going through a bunch of sermons this week. To this, my favorite sermon title on this passage, somebody called it Plutonium at Iconium. I love that. It's like a WrestleMania event. But to Paul, this was just another day at the office. You know, angry mobs seemed to come with the territory, and it happened to Paul over and over and over again. Because in ministry, you should be prepared for hard times. And sometimes that's opposition. Sometimes that means spiritual attack. Sometimes it means just discouragement. Sometimes it's frustration. But through it all, we persevere. We don't let it stop us. Uh, I love the phrase, actually, this week, again, studying the sermon. Someone called it grace-enabled grit. I love that. It's just, you persevere. Uh, Winston Churchill gave a speech to Parliament during the Battle of Britain of World War II, and in part of that speech, he said this. It captures this, this grit. He says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. For our goal is victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terrors. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. We shall not fail or flag. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We'll fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And that's the kind of attitude we need when it comes to ministry in the church. You know, opposition will rise, obstacles will come, enemies may try to tear us down, but we keep on going and refuse to give up or give in. We stand firm, we persevere. And that actually leads us very nicely to our fifth lesson, our fifth part of the blueprint in building a church, and that is patience. Uh, look at verse three, where it says, so they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. And you know, the reality, again, of building a ministry and building a church is that even without opposition, it can still take a long time. You know, you can start a ministry and still not see the fruit of that ministry for years to come. Or, you know, you want to start something new, but, you know, chances are you have to start that same thing several times before it even gets traction with the people. And, you know, very tragically, it's, you know, we live in an age that has instant coffee, instant pudding, instant potatoes. And some people just expect instant ministry as well. But the reality of ministry is that it often takes time. And that's why what some call the pastor pop-up phenomena is so alarming. 
Did you know the average stay of a pastor in a church in America, according to a survey done in 2011, was three and a, three and a half years, 3.6 years. And yet survey after survey shows that the most effective years of a pastor's ministry only begin after he's been there for five years. If you want to build a ministry, you need people and you need pastors and you need leaders who are committed to the long term. Because you can't rush growth. And Paul Paul and Barnabas really show us the way with their their patience, where it says they took the time that they needed to, to, to build and invest in this church. Which leads us to the next really crucial step for building a church. And that is, be sure to use power tools. That is my favorite one. Verse three continues. Well, verse three again. So they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And again, the lesson here is that building a church is not just about manpower. It's about God's power. Because God has and God provides the power we need to truly be an effective church. There's a great quote by uh, D.L. Moody who said, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in your reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it, but trust in God and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. If we're to be effective builders in God's kingdom, we need to remember God's power. God's power that changes things and that it is God's power through the Holy Spirit that we need to be filled with. That's where the real power for building a church comes from. And you know, today in the church, we may not see people healed or signs and wonders like Paul saw. We may see miracles, but you know what? We, what we might see more is lives changed. We might see people saved. We might see, you know, the kingdom built all around us when God is at work because God knows how to heal hurts. He knows how to reconcile marriages. He knows how to change hearts. He knows how to transform lives and God is still at work in the church and if we'll look, we'll see how he is working so powerfully all around us because we can't always know how God will work through us but God's purposes cannot be stopped and God's power is essential for each and every church. And like Paul, our churches and our ministry must depend on the power of God. And the best way to tap into that power is prayer. Um, you know, I think there's times when we think about prayer as the thing that we do before we do the thing. Like we pray before we eat. You know, we pray before the sermon. We pray before meetings. But I think as a church, what's essential for us to understand that prayer itself is doing something. And that prayer, intentional prayer, needs to be part of our plan as a church. And that's why I've asked you before, I'm going to ask you again to faithfully pray for our church. In fact, a few weeks ago, I even gave out a card with a little list of things to pray together for our church, and I forgot it in my office. They're they're at the info desk if you want to grab one and pick it up, but I mean, that card says, pray for our pastors and our leaders. Uh, Pray for our unity as a church and our fellowship. Pray we see people saved. Pray for our deeper spiritual growth. Pray for our reliance on the Holy Spirit. And just pray that we would see God answer prayers among us. And we pray for those things. We are praying for those things because we believe that God will answer those prayers because we believe that God's power is still at work 
in our church today. And as a pastor, there are a few things I think more precious to me than knowing that there's a person who is committed to praying for our church. Because in the end, again, it's not how strong we are. It is Christ and his power that is truly building this church. Which leads us really only one more um, step in this blueprint for building a church. And that step is learning to adapt to a changing world. Look at verse four to the end of the passage. It says, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities in Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. We've already heard Paul and Barnabas, they were committed to the long haul in this ministry in this town. But after staying there for what we're told is a long time in Iconium, ministering to the people, we learned something changed. And the passage, I mean, this is kind of a Greek thing that came up this week, but it seems to indicate that it kind of happened suddenly. Like there was always this tension, but there was just something that happened where all of a sudden the circumstances in that town shifted and suddenly things just got dangerous. Uh, my fa- one, of my, one of my favorite lines is, R. Kent Hughes says, Paul and Barnabas were brave but not foolish. They were born again, but they weren't born yesterday. Um, that was great, I like that. <laughs> so they, they look around, and when they see that these things have changed in this town, Paul and Barnabas, they adapt their plans accordingly. And you know, change is not always easy. Now, what's the old saying that only person who likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper? Change is one of those things that is really hard for many churches. I actually served for a little while at a church that was, I think, often just trapped by the past. And they had a great past, they had a great history. But they just kept wanting to do the same things that had worked for them 50 years ago. Without realizing the church, the community around that church had changed in that time. And today we live at a time that is changing at a rate that would make the head spin of those who came before us. And while there's some things in ministry that never change, I mean, the message of the gospel, the grace of God, the person of Jesus Christ, those things never change. We do find ourselves in a place where we need to look for new ways of reaching and teaching a new generation of people. And part of the church is just accepting that, accepting change and having the courage to try new things. And you know, even if there's times when as a church you try something new and it fails, that's okay. Because we just go back to that reality of we are patient and we persevere and we keep on going and we try new things. But you have to learn to change, you know, when the community around you changes as well. And that's really pretty much everything I have for you this morning. This morning, we've heard about these seven things that I think are part of our blueprint for building a church. You know, that we, we, we start with a clear purpose. We understand why we're here. Then we have a clear plan, and we make sure we have a sure foundation in Christ. We, you know, we persevere through obstacles. We patiently, you know, endure and invest in ministry to do it right with time. We rely on God and the Holy Spirit for power, and we continually adapt it all to a changing world. And I think those things are true 
not just of our church, not just of Paul's church, of any church. You'll be at an underground church in China or a mega church in the States or a local church in a community like ours. All of those things are still true for the church. And that's how we want to be building our church here at Northgate. And you know, I know it's, it's sort of the middle of summer. Uh, this sermon probably would have been better in September when ministries are getting started up and you know, all that exciting ministries happening all around us. But I still want to just end our time this morning with an invitation to you. Because I want all of you to be a part of what this church is doing. You know, so as we build our church, I want to ask you, are you willing to join us? Because there's work to be done, you know, and we need people. Uh, people willing to serve, people willing to help, willing to give, willing to share, willing to lead, willing to encourage, willing to pray, willing to teach, willing to dream or create or worship or organize or invest or mentor or inspire. And what that means is there's a place here for all of you, for all of us. And God really has a way that every person here can bless this church. He has gifted you with something that you can share and given you a way that you can serve our church going forward. And we have an amazing church. We have a church that's making a difference in our community and the lives of the people around us. So join the crew. You know, dust off the blueprints and with God's help, let's get to work together building this church and building this ministry here at Northgate. Because, you know, tearing down, as I said, is easy. But building up is what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we are, I'm just so thankful for this church, uh, for the legacy that it has had over the years. And Lord, uh, I know that it is the work of many of our parents and our grandparents to establish it here. And Lord, at a time in their lives when so many things were uncertain, they still said, we need a gospel witness in this place. And they got together and began building this church. And Lord, their work is not done. This church continues to be built. And we pray that we would continue to be building up believers, growing them deeper in their faith in you. And Lord, also that we'd be reaching out to the world around us, inviting people, seeking people, lost people to come and find Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Lord, I pray that in all that we do, we would keep our eyes on you. And that, Lord, we'd be faithful to that calling that you gave not just to our church, but to every church, to go and make disciples. And that, Lord, we'd be faithful to that call and we'd be adapting to changing world around us. And that, Lord, in it all, we would just be trusting in you and in your strength. And Lord, I know it's summer and, the, and we don't have a lot of programs going right now, but Lord, the church is not programs. The church is people. And Lord, I pray for the people. Uh, Lord, that you would provide us people who would be encouraging and Lord, people who would be just equipped to serve in this place. That you would raise up the body of Christ. Each person with their gift. Each person with a way that they could serve. And that together we would serve and we would see this church um, just making a difference in the world around us. And that, Lord, you would continue to work uh, in us and through us, through your power, to your glory, and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.